Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you again, and it's such a, an honor and a, a privilege to be asked to share from God's Word with you all today. If you don't know who I am, my name is John. Phil introduced me a little bit earlier. I've been a member of King's for one year and one week. So last year was my first um, anniversary. Come with my wife, Kathy. She's working uh, at Teesside Hospice today, so can't be with us. But uh, we feel so at home at King's, and you've made us so, so welcome. So thank you for that. Well, on the 21st of April, 1947, our Queen, who was then Princess Elizabeth, delivered a speech in Cape Town, South Africa. It was her 21st birthday. And amongst the things she said in her speech was this. She said, my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. And it is said that her words moved Winston Churchill to tears. And she has absolutely kept her word, hasn't she? Now in her 96th year, three decades beyond retirement age, she is still absolutely devoted and dedicated to the service of her country. Even after the death of her beloved husband, Prince Philip, earlier this year, she was back at work just days later without showing the faintest hint of self-interest or self-pity. She truly is absolutely a servant queen for us. And I say this because the concept of a servant king or queen was totally unheard of until the time of Christ. The idea was unthinkable, in fact. It had simply never occurred to anybody anywhere in the world. Indeed, it would have seemed bizarre. King Herod, for example, who was on the throne at the time of Jesus, was prepared to commit any atrocity possible in order to bolster his power and advance his ambition. And he never called anybody, sorry, he never called himself anybody's servant. You had to serve him. That's the way around it was. You serve him or else. The Caesars in Rome would have considered it a great insult to be called servants. The pharaohs in Egypt and the great kings of the empires of Assyria and Babylon, likewise. Alexander the Great from Greece never called himself a servant. Even the best kings in Israel's history, once they ascended to the throne, never once called themselves anyone's servant, certainly not to their subjects. And I've noticed this as I've been reading through the books of Samuel uh, this month, King David, Israel's perhaps greatest king, frequently speaks of himself as, in the third person, as your servant. Your servant will fight this Philistine Goliath, for example. He uses that language all the time until he becomes king, where that language just stops abruptly. But Jesus, the one we call the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one we love and have been singing to this morning, and uh, the words are coming up on the screen now, said this, the greatest among you shall be the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. I am among you as one who serves. And he said this, anyone who wants to be first must be 
the very last and the servant of all. That was just revolutionary in his day and in many cultures of the world, it still is. So in Jesus' day, this is what it was like. It was a very strictly hierarchical society. Everybody knew where their place was. Everybody had a rank and they knew where the rank was, who was above them, who was below them. And it worked like this. The second lowest servant on the rung of the ladder had the unpleasant and demeaning task of unfastening people's sandals after a sweaty day walking around. But that servant was considered above having to wash the feet afterwards. The most humiliating and least dignified of household tasks, washing feet, was reserved for the servant one rung below him or her at the very bottom of the ladder. And even to wash the feet of somebody on the same level as you simply wasn't the done thing. The idea of washing the feet of somebody below you in the pecking order was just laughable, really. So John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, I'm not worthy of untying his sandals, second rung of the ladder. But Jesus, equal in glory and majesty to the heavenly Father, descended to the very lowest position. He washed feet. And when he washed his disciples' feet, they were just shocked and disorientated by what he did. Uh, They looked at him, and Jesus said this, and here are the words on the screen. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Well, we're looking at some of the one another's in the New Testament. Uh, Some people compare church to a football match. A few people in desperate need of a rest, watched by a lot of people in desperate need of exercise. But in the Bible, the church is never a spectator sport. It's not the vision we have in God's word of what the church should be like. It is always in the Bible an interactive community where nobody is on the sidelines. Everybody in the church gets to play the game. And as we've seen, there are dozens of exhortations in the New Testament given to churches with this phrase, one another, included in it. Love one another, forgive one another. We've seen that already in the last couple of weeks. There's also pray for one another, welcome one another, speak the truth to one another, encourage one another. One I particularly like, greet one another with a holy kiss. Isn't that lovely? And if you get too carried away, it says, don't uh, bite and devour each other. So don't go too far on that one. And uh, What I want to explore with you this week is what Galatians 5.13 means when it says this. And here are the words on the screen. Serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another. Now this word serve with its associated words servant and service 
and serving and so on appear over 200 times in the New Testament. The word in Greek is diakonos, for those of you that care about these things. And it simply means this. It means to run errands. It means to attend to. It means to wait at table to supply people who are dining with their food and drink or some other menial role. It never once denotes honor or status or prestige. It is always associated with meekness, lowliness, practical assistance. Now, Jesus requires a servant heart from all his followers. That's discipleship 101, servant heart. But Jesus particularly insists on it for anyone who is appointed as a leader. Uh, Nicky Gumbel from the Alpha Course sums this up unforgettably with this quote. He says, for Jesus, if service is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. If service is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. And whatever kind of responsibility you might have in life, maybe you're a supervisor at work, or maybe you have responsibility at home as a parent or a grandparent. You might be an elder or a trustee in church. You might be a children's or a youth leader. You might have any kind of responsibility. Whatever it is, you are called as a Christian to think of yourself not as a superior, but as a servant. Well, that's all by way of introduction. Sorry, it's been a little bit long, but we're going to delve in now together at a passage of Scripture, which is Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. <clears throat> now, if you're, it's going to appear on the screen, but if you have your Bible and you're looking for the page, Mark chapter 10 situates Jesus and his entourage traveling south in the Jordan Valley towards Jericho, which is more or less at the very lowest point on the earth's surface. They're going down and down and down. And from there, they will turn west and head up to Jerusalem in the hills where Jesus knows he is going to meet his death. And here's what it says. Let me read it to you. They're on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? 
or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, this is the other ten of the twelve, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Father, thank you for your word. As we come to look at this now, we pray you will just direct our minds and our hearts to you, to focus on your amazing love for us to come down from heaven, to be one of us, to serve us, to be humbled. And we pray, Lord, that you will be our teacher by the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to not just learn new things, but be stirred, God, in our hearts to rise up and serve you in new ways. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus' ministry here, as I've hinted, is really building to a climax now. He has spoken plainly already, without ambiguity, on at least two occasions about what he knows is going to happen to him. But the penny does not appear to have dropped at all for the 12 disciples. Now, some in the traveling party, we're told, are amazed and others are frightened because they can kind of sense that something is building up to a climax. There's something, there's tension in the air. It's building up to a drama. Maybe there's going to be an an audacious uprising when they get to Jerusalem, some sort of revolution. And so in verses 32 to 34, Jesus calls the 12 to him. And again, because he's done this before, he patiently explains in more detail than ever before that armed resistance is not the program. It's not on the agenda at all. Instead, what is going to happen when they get to Jerusalem is this. The religious elite are going to collude with the Roman authorities. They're going to arrest Jesus. They're going to pass sentence on him. They're going to send him to a violent and shameful death, after which he will rise again. Now, this is a a deeply personal and traumatic disclosure from Jesus, isn't it? He's saying to them in words of one syllable, I'm going to be rejected. They will mock me. They will spit in my face, beat me up. Then they're going to kill me. This is not a metaphor. This is not another one of my parables. I really am going to die. 
And what do you suppose would have been a fitting response from the 12 to hearing these words? Would it not be to show Jesus some sort of loyalty, some sort of support? Would it not have been appropriate for the 12 to be aggrieved and to show Jesus that they care and they want to serve him in this moment of great distress, to ask him, what can we do, Lord? Is there anything we can do to help you? But there is nothing here, nothing in the text, nor in the other Gospels which relate the same incident to suggest that any of them display the slightest compassion or empathy with their Lord and Master. Could it be that they simply fail to understand a perfectly simple statement in plain language that Jesus has repeated to them at least three times? Or is it rather that they are so self-absorbed, so up themselves, so obsessed with their own status and importance that they just don't hear it? They just don't listen. They can't let it, they can't let it in. And it seems to be the latter, because in verses 35 to 40, Mark tells us about a frankly pathetic request from James and John. Now, I want to just rewind the tape a little bit and tell you that in the previous chapter, chapter 9, the 12 disciples not only discuss but in fact argue amongst themselves as they walk along the road about where they all stand in the kingdom of God pecking order. This is therefore a recurring theme. And in chapter 9, the disciples are raising their voices, they're bickering about who's the alpha male, who's the most important. When Jesus comes in his kingdom, who's going to be the right reverend? Who's going to be the very reverend? Who's going to be the most reverend? It's actually cringeworthy what they're doing. This is like the seven dwarves in a bitter dispute over which one of them is the tallest. Seriously. And so in Mark 9, 35, Jesus sits down and he calls the 12 to him and he says, Look, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, must be the servant of all. And now, one chapter later in our passage, we learn that Jesus' words then fell on deaf ears. Because James and John, now James and John, right, they were two fishermen. They never succeed in catching a single fish in the whole Bible without Jesus doing a miracle for them. Jesus has to do a miracle for them to catch. They're complete losers, these guys. They are very keen on a prestigious promotion. And so they sneakily have a word with Jesus. Teacher, they say, to a man who has just spoken to them twice about his imminent harrowing death. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Ever said that to Jesus? Just do for me whatever I want. Now, Jesus has every right to explode with frustration and tell these men, honestly, how hurt he is 
by their insensitivity and their selfish ambition. But instead, Jesus, the servant of all, shows breathtaking patience and self-control. He says, what do you want me to do for you? How about, could we have the honor of helping you carry your cross as you walk to be crucified? But no, instead, let one of us sit on your right hand and another at your left hand in your glory. In other words, we want to be famous. We want to be well-known. We'd like to be up there and admired. We don't want to serve anybody else. We want everybody else to serve us at your right and your left hand. Well, Jesus responds by speaking of his death. And he talks about drinking the cup of God's wrath against sin. And he will drink that to the dregs. And he talks about his baptism being plunged into sorrow and agony. And he asks James and John if they can go through what he's going to go through. And maybe they think the cup Jesus is talking about is a cup of celebration. Whoa, get the champagne out. Maybe when Jesus talks of his baptism, they think back to the day he was baptized and heaven opened and there was a voice and God said, this is my son, I'm well pleased with him. Maybe they think that's what he's talking about. So they say, no problem, we can definitely, we can definitely live up to that. But James and John here are focused on what is important to them. We want to be Lord James and Lord John. We want a peerage or at least a knighthood. We want the seats of honor at the top table. And this is when the other 10 get wind of what's going on. They see what James and John are up to and they start kicking off and they begin to squabble again. These bald men are still fighting over the same comb. And so Jesus focuses with amazing restraint, I think, and patience. Yet again, he focuses on what they need to hear. What they need to hear is that in the kingdom of God, serving one another laying down our lives for one another, is a basic requirement. It is a non-negotiable, and it always will be an essential and indispensable feature of the church that Jesus is building. It's not going to be like the Romans, Jesus said. They throw their weight around. They bark orders to their subordinates. You know, leaders in Jesus' day and in many places in the world today as well, get their way by intimidation and bullying. Everyone exists to run around and massage the boss's ego. But Jesus could not be more emphatic. That is not the way we are going to do things. Phil Dooley is... Uh, pastor of an amazing church in Cape Town, Hillsong Church. It's a brilliant, dynamic, growing church. And he says this about his leadership team. He says, our leadership team 
is made up of a bunch of nobodies who love everybody and serve anybody and don't care about being a somebody. Isn't that lovely? Where did he get that from? He got it from Jesus, of course, who said here, and again, the words are on the screen, instead, whoever wants to become great among you, and notice he doesn't criticize their desire for greatness. He just redirects it where it should go. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I think that's the most important verse, certainly my favorite in Mark's gospel. Right there. Well, the prophet Isaiah, he spoke over 700 years before Christ. And he said in amazing detail that the Messiah would come one day, not as a great warrior, but as a suffering servant. This is what Jesus is referring to. This is his servanthood for us. This is why he came. This is why he willingly laid aside all his heavenly majesty and he humbled himself and he gladly took the form of a servant on the cross for us. And when he laid down his life as a ransom, that means enabling everybody else to go free, he canceled out forever all your sins, no matter how bad, no matter how many there are. Counsel, wipe them out. He ended our alienation with God. He set us right with him as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. He opened up a door in heaven that nobody can shut. He put your name and mine in the book of life from which it will never be erased. That's what Jesus did when he gave his life as a ransom. And if you've never yet turned to Christ in grateful faith for what he did for you, and if right now God is speaking to you, inviting you to take the greatest step in life you could ever take, take it. Do it today. Don't wait another day. Don't make the mistake of putting it off tomorrow because tomorrow becomes forever. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. So I'm inviting you today, if you've never done it before, ask God to take care of your past, and he will, and call Christ your king and your Lord. Life will never be the same again. And I hope it's clear why we value serving one another here at King's. Serve one another humbly in love. Jesus gave it all. He gave it all for us, saving us from hell and seating us in the heavenly places in Christ. Therefore, in response to the one who gave 100% for him, 95% uh, commitment from me, in return, is 5% short. A friend of mine, until very recently, had one of the top jobs as a senior doctor in the National Health Service. And it's a job that came with a lot of prestige and pressure. 
and uh, no doubt it paid very handsomely. But this man, quiet man, self-effacing, he found time, in fact, he, he made time to make coffee at church, Sunday by Sunday. And if ever the floor needed cleaning after the monthly children's outreach, even if they were sick on the floor and someone had been eating too many Haribos or something, there he would be at the end of it, last one out with a mop and bucket. This man lives in a modest house, probably gives most of his money away for all I know. Serve one another humbly in love. Is your life, and by your life I'm thinking about work and family and marriage, if you're married, church, leisure, friendships, finances, is your life more about getting or giving? Put another way, are you primarily motivated by what you want to get out of church or what you want to put into it lovingly? Because you will reap what you sow. The more you put in, the more you get out. Uh, Washington, D.C. church leader Mark Batterson author of The Circle Maker, says this, if you do little things like they were big things, God will do big things like they were little things. Isn't that lovely? Serve one another humbly in love. What makes you happy? I know people who are unhappy or feel unfulfilled because they're basically self-centered and orientated for being served rather than serving. Are you serving at Kings? If you're a member here. Are you a player on the pitch? If not, it may not be your fault, actually. This COVID season has squeezed many of us into becoming spectators, but that's a temporary thing. Just as muscles grow weak and ineffective through lack of exercise, Christians become weak and ineffective through lack of service. But as the return to normality comes up on the horizon for us, what are the passions that God has put in your heart? What spiritual gifts have God, has God given you that need fanning into flame in service to others and to the Lord? Why don't you ask one of the team of elders here? How can I serve here? What needs doing? Tim Matthews of um, Love Church, it's called Love Church, great name for a church, isn't it? Love Church in Bournemouth. He says to new people in his church, he says this, find a job that you want to do before you're asked to do one that you don't. It's not bad, is it? Uh, well, as I end, I, I wanted actually to be able to invite people who just feel that God is stirring them to come forward for prayer ministry. But we, we can't do that now. Uh, it won't be long before we can, but we've got to be patient. For now, we can't do it. But I do want to give you an opportunity to respond to God in a concrete way this morning. He's serving 
is about not being passive. It's the very opposite of being passive. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand where you are if you feel that God is speaking to you about serving. And if you stand, I'll ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill you and empower you for service. And when that happens, don't look around. Don't worry about what other people think. This is just between you and God.